Good morning, everyone. So, yeah, my name is Pete. I'm one of uh, the leaders here. Uh, and I'm excited for what I've got to share this morning. What God's been putting on my heart uh, for us to encourage us, to build us up, to strengthen us. Um, it's been a bit of a funny week, so... I did not realise that Alex, through my, with my own fault, I didn't realize, really realise Alex was working yesterday uh, when I said that I'd preach this week and I've had a mentally busy week uh, and it's been challenging trying to prepare this, this sermon in the midst of being faithful to all the other things God's also called me to in life, like being a stay-at-home dad, looking after Molly, doing the school run, a meeting with people that um, God has opened the door for and was good opportunities and I knew it was good for me. But I really felt when I was starting to fret and worry a bit, God put on my heart a Bible verse from 2 Corinthians, which I cannot find now. But it basically says, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's Paul talking. And... He goes on to say that, that actually it's in our weakness that God's power is made strong. And then Paul starts to say, so you know what, I'm going to boast in my weakness all the more so that Christ's power will rest on me. And, and the reason why I'm sharing that actually to begin with is I, I think it ties in with what God's speaking to us about this morning. God's stirring our hearts about reaching the world around us, isn't he? He's stirring our hearts about the importance of taking this gospel, this good news, sharing it with those around us. And that's whether it's a situation where we proactively feel God's lead us to share, or whether it's a situation where someone asks us the question, why do you have this hope? Why are you like this? And there's an answer for that. But the danger is that we try and do these things in our own strength. And actually, Jesus says, if you do not abide in me and I in you, you will bear no fruit. No matter what you do, you will bear no fruit. But actually, as you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It says, um, in John 15, it says, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you, and I have anointed you, I've appointed you that you would go and that you would bear fruit and it would be the fruit of eternal significance. So it's really easy, I think, to, to put pressure on ourselves with what we've already heard this morning. Uh, it's easy for me to put pressure on myself even in what I feel God's stirring on my heart for this morning to share it. But actually, the reality is He is our strength. That as we lean into Him, fruit will come. That's the promise. The promise is if we abide in him, fruit will be bared. Born. So uh, this is the fourth and final week in our series Ascension. And when we're talking about Ascension, what we're talking about is when Jesus, after his death and resurrection, 40 days later, so he, was, he appeared to his disciples, so actually to over 500 disciples over the course of 40 days. And then from before them, in front of their eyes, he ascended up to heaven. It says that he, he parted up through the clouds. And the scriptures tell us that he will come back in the way that he left. So the last few weeks, 
we've been unpacking uh, some, some of Jesus' roles, the offices that he has as prophet, priest, and king. And as we close the series, today we're going to focus on what, what's it mean to be looking forward to Jesus' return. So Jesus has ascended to be with the Father. He is at the right hand of the Father. But he is coming back. He is coming back. And this is something God's been challenging me on over the last few months, really. We did a study on Revelation, the book of Revelation in Growth Group. And in there, obviously, there's a lot about Jesus' return. A lot about our expectancy and about he should be coming back soon. And the reality is, it's been 2,000 years since he said that. Are we living with an expectancy that Jesus' return is imminent? Because that is actually a biblical truth that we are called to live that way. It says no one will know the time that he comes back. Not even the son knows the time when he's to come back. Only the father knows. But actually, we're to live with this hope that Jesus is coming back. But the fact that he's coming back soon is to be motivation for us. And I think as we unpack that this morning, we will see that it it produces a good motivation in us. It produces good fruit in us. And it changes how we live our lives. So Romans 2, 6-7 says this. This is talking about when Jesus comes back. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Each one of us, saved or non-saved, will have to give an account for our lives, for our actions, before Jesus when he returns. But as we've already heard this morning, the wonderful good news is that Jesus died on the cross for us. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not die but have eternal life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but he came to save the world. And we're all in need of his salvation. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that can sound a little bit confusing, can't it? That terminology. But I think all of us here, hopefully in the room, we we understand justice. As in, we understand that if uh, our decisions, things we do, have consequences. And we want justice to be done, don't we? So actually, we see lots of atrocities on the news at the moment and things going on in the world. And actually, what we want to see is justice come in those situations. We know that the decisions people are making that are causing hurt, that are causing pain, that are causing suffering, these decisions, we want to see justice come. We want to see righteousness done, don't we? And the reality is, is every decision that we make that isn't with God on the throne of our lives, that isn't to glorify him, actually puts us into sin. It actually mars us. And, and it says in scripture that the wages of sin is death. Okay, It's separation. It's, it's physical death. We actually saw in the Garden of Eden that when when Eve sinned and then Adam sinned, that actually death came, but in two ways. First, death came as separation from God. They were spiritually dead. They could no longer 
um, walk with God, talk with God, they were separated from him. Because God is a just God, he is a holy God, he is a pure God, and he cannot be in relationship with sin. But also, because God is a just God, he has to fulfill the consequences to sin. And so actually, he will judge the world. And all the sins that everyone has done will be judged. But thanks be to God, he has sent Jesus to die on a cross. And that is the hope of the world. That is the hope that we are to be living for. Because, I was just reading it in Hebrews 9, just before I came up to speak. Um, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And what that, what's that saying is that you could even think of the Ten Commandments about like, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt, we shan't lie, we shan't, um, I can't even remember them off the top of my head right now, so it's not part of my sermon. But basically, all these different things that take us away from God, but are not following God's ways. And all those, it actually says that if you break one law, of God, you've broken the whole law. Okay? That's how severe it is. If you take, if you, even if you just lie about one small thing, that's, that's breaking the whole, the whole law. And yet, this is saying that that whole first law, which we have broken due to our sin, Jesus has paid the price for, and none of that sin will stay with us. As Sam was saying earlier, it's taken as far from us as east is from the west. It cannot touch us. But it's really important that we live in the truth of that. We'll, we'll see as we, we draw on further that, that, that part of what we're to be doing in this time where we're waiting for Jesus to return is to be drawing near to God. But we're to do that with full assurance of faith, knowing that we're sprinkled clean by the blood of the Lamb. If we're not walking in that mindset, in that mentality of what Jesus has done and believing it to be true, it hinders, it hinders us coming to him. So there is hope. There is hope for the world. But we aren't to do this in our own strength. We aren't to take the hope to the world in our own strength. We aren't to proclaim salvation in our own strength. Luke 24, verse 46 to 49, says this. So it's Jesus talking to his disciples. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this good news of repentance is for all nations. It's for the whole world. And we, as disciples of Jesus, are the ones that are to be taking it to the whole world. But we're to wait. There's a waiting for the disciples. We're to wait till we're clothed with power from on high. And actually now, because Jesus has ascended, he has sent the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, that actually as we're thirsty and we say to, we cry out to Jesus, God, fill us afresh with your Spirit. Come fill us with your Spirit. He hears us and he responds and he clothes us with power to witness, to make his name known. And Jesus draws people to himself. 
He draws people to themselves. He takes the veil away from their hearts. And that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's why we, we, we need to be a people of courage. We need to be a people that are strength. As Sam was saying earlier, we need to encourage one another. We need to bring gifts of the Spirit to strengthen each other. As Howard did earlier, to encourage us. Because the reality is, is that now that we are born again, we are born of God, we do not fit in the world anymore. But those that don't know Jesus have a veil over their hearts. And so they don't see him for who he is. They don't acknowledge him for who he is. He doesn't fit with their ways. Actually, what we see from culture around us, if someone doesn't fit, they almost, they're, like, they're outcast, aren't they? They're pushed aside. And actually, we don't fit anymore in this world anymore. And so actually, we need to be strengthened. No wonder why we can't do this in our own strength. Because we would fail and we would flounder. But actually, by the grace of God, we get to receive the abundance of grace he has for us and the gift of righteousness and make his name known in the world around us. And he, by his spirit, unveils people's hearts and draws them to himself. But this isn't just for the ones or for the twos. This is for all of us. It's for us as a family. And it's not just in the words we say, but it's in the life that we live as well. God gave me a helpful picture for someone the other day and um, forgive me if I've shared it from the front since as well but just the fact that um, yeah even the smallest candle the smallest candle that you might think is insignificant if the room is dark and it's a light the light overcomes the darkness okay Jesus is the light of the world and in him we are lights of the world So even if you see yourself as really small and insignificant, the reality is you are light. And in the world around you, Jesus has caused you to shine with significance of his glory and his grace and his mercy. And to bring his justice in the world around us. So as has already been said this morning, uh, Hebrews 9.28 says, So Jesus will appear a second time. To deal, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are we eagerly waiting for him? Is our love for him so much that we cannot wait to, to, to see him as he is and to be like him? But the reality is, for many of us, we, we're, we're almost burdened by the sake that we've got so many loved ones that don't know him. So many loved ones that, that are far from him, that we don't want him to return soon. Because we want them to come to know him. We want them to come to know him. And I think there is a tension here. We see so often in scripture there's a tension. There's, the kingdom of God is here, it is now, Jesus proclaimed. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went about healing all those oppressed by the enemy. But yet at the same time, the kingdom of God is not fully here. It will come when he comes back. The kingdom will fully come then. So there's this, this tension to live with. And actually there's this tension now that, that we, we eagerly desire the returning of our Lord Jesus and our Saviour. But at the same time, we're partly saying, oh, don't come quite yet. Give us, give us opportunity to, to make you known. Give us opportunity to witness. And so we eagerly seek his return. But actually, knowing he's coming soon motivates us even more. To not just think it, but to do it. You see, all these things, and all the things that I'm going to go on to say this morning, they aren't passive things. But they're things where we have to be active. Because one day Jesus will return. 
And he will say, I've given you opportunity to speak my love and my grace and truth to those around you. Have you done it? Have you made use of the time? And part of the reason we eagerly wait his return is it says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Our world is decaying. It's falling apart. It's in bondage. And yet one day when Jesus comes back, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more sickness. He'll wipe away every tear. Creation itself will be renewed. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And so actually, our recognition of the brokenness of the world makes us long even more for his return. Because we know he will make all things new. It says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. It says, doesn't it, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In, um, I think it's James, this isn't in my sermon, that, where that passage comes from. Um, Jesus, oh, not Jesus, we're told of the power of fervent prayer as well. Have a quick look. Elijah, okay, so the prayer of a righteous person, this is from James 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, so he was human, beset with weakness, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There's a connection with fervent prayer by humans in their weakness and fruitfulness. Okay? And though we might not have over the years seen the fruit that we wanted to see, or at least the visible fruit that we want to see in this town, I really feel that God is saying, give yourselves fervently to prayer. Give yourselves fervently to prayer because your prayers are mighty. They are powerful. I mean, going back to that verse that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, fruit that will remain. What it says there as well is, and ask for anything you want in my name and the Father will give it to you. It's a connection with prayer. And what's prayer doing? It's us drawing near to God it's us putting our dependence on him it's us saying God we can't do this in our own strength we can't change people's hearts and minds but you can and I know I've said this before but it's such a great example take the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus he was going to Damascus to persecute the church he was going there to kill Christians to arrest Christians and he thought he was doing the Lord's work And I do not think any single one of us could have reasoned with him, telling him the hope within us, and that would have stopped him in our own strength. And yet what happens? He has an encounter with Jesus, and his life is transformed, turned upside down, 
and he becomes one of the greatest preachers ever and sees he had the blessing of taking the gospel from the Jewish people to the Gentiles it's like no one no one is out of the reach of God okay but we need to be fervent we need to be fervent in prayer but I think the issue is sometimes is we go into isolation I've asked I've asked you so many times to pray for this person I can't, I can't keep asking it gets embarrassing or it's difficult or, but no, no, we're a family together we are on this together God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son for us for the world, okay and actually as part of being family together is we need to be praying together unifying together See, God says, where two or three are gathered in my name I am there with you, I hear your prayer and I answer you I just want to spend a minute just unpacking some of Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. It may appear on the screen, but it's my fault if it didn't, because that was a bit lovely. See, we're going from verse 19. It says this. Therefore, brothers. Okay, so up to this point, the awful Hebrews has been describing how wonderfully supreme Jesus is, how he's above all the angels, how he's above the law, how the, the people of Israel had Moses on a pedestal. He's above Moses, more powerful than Moses, more awesome than Moses. He is, is that imprint of God the Father. And we have redemption through his blood. So that verse I just read about how every single sin under the old covenant has been dealt with has come before this point so therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus <laughs> by the new and living way they are opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near so there are three things three things here that are for us to be doing we are to be drawing near to God let us draw near to God we are to be holding fast the confession of our hope and we are to be encouraging one another note the language therefore brothers and sisters let us draw near to God let us consider how to stir one another up it's all about us together. It's all about us in family as we look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus. So just as we briefly think about drawing near to God, the only way we can do that is by through Jesus, through his blood. I was just reading the other day in Hebrews how it, it talks about how the temple was just a shadow of the things to come. And, and when Jesus 
died on the cross, we see that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, don't we? The curtain that was separating people from the, utter, from the very presence of God, from the holy of holies. And I think in my mind, I've just always associated that with just saying, not almost so much as now we can go in because presence has come out. But actually what it says is that where Jesus went to sprinkle his blood, it wasn't for the things, it wasn't in the place made by human hands, which is just a shadow. It wasn't in the temple. It wasn't the tabernacle. But he went into heaven. So the heaven, into to the most holy place, the very presence of God, not made by man, and sprinkled his blood there, that we may come there, that we may draw near to God there. That struck me. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what Jesus has done for us. And this is so important to us, actually, as we're looking at making God known to those around us. You know, the more we get to know someone, the easier it is to tell others about them. Okay? The more we spend time in their presence, the more we actually probably become a bit like them. I know there's there's some people who were with us uh, in our church a while ago who I was in growth group with for a while and they've shaped the way I pray just because the way they prayed in growth group I now pray in a similar way to them and it is, it's, 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 we, we affect each other don't we and actually people are probably going to think it's a bit odd if we're telling them about the hope within us but they're not looking at us and seeing that hope in us that makes sense. they're not seeing Jesus in us but actually people will find it attractive if they see that the hope that we're telling them about is so evident in the way that we are in the way that we're being because we spend time with God daily because we are with God daily we're to hold fast our confession and our hope so hold fast we're to embrace tightly grasp the confession of our hope that is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us that he rose again that he ascended to be with the father and that one day he is coming again see this is the hope that the New Testament church were living for and living with that Jesus has died that he has risen that he has ascended to be with the father but that he is coming again that is the living hope that they were they were living for and hoping for and holding fast our confession isn't just an insular thing um, Raymond Brown uh, in one of the commentaries that I was reading says this isn't just a call to perseverance but it's a call to witness because actually as we hold fast to the hope within us as we live based on that hope we end up sharing that hope with those around us as I've already said the world is opposed to the things of God. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But God is faithful. And by his grace and the power of his spirit, we can courageously share with those around us. But this also brings me on to point number three. We're to encourage one another more and more. So why do we need to encourage each other more and more? Well, it's because it takes courage to share the hope we have in Jesus with the world around us. And when we are encouraging one another, what we're doing is we're giving each other courage. 
And actually, by the Bible saying that as the day is drawing near, is the reason why more and more we need to be giving each other courage. It's saying the world is going to be in a more difficult place to be Christians. It's going to be a more difficult place to be sharing the hope. And so we need to be giving courage to one another, strengthening one another, that actually we share the hope that we have with the world around us. God is so good and he is so faithful. But he chooses also to use us, which is a delight and a joy. But we need to rely on him. We need to draw near to him. We need to hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, but also who we are therefore in him. That we are children of God, saved by grace. And a big part of that is us encouraging one another. We've been doing that this morning. We've been doing it so well over recent weeks. I've been loving the opportunities to pray with one another during the times of worship, to speak truth to one another. And just before I end, for me, one quick example of that is when we speak to each other, like, so we're about to have teas and coffees and cake. Actually, if someone shares something difficult with you that they're going through, don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you for that later. Why don't we take the opportunity to pray there and then. And do you know what I find is when we take that opportunity there and then, God's always speaking. And we get to share what the Spirit stirs in our heart with them. And you see it impact the person and you see it bring freedom. God is good. But this is to be worked out together in community. Each and every one of us are important. Each and every one of us need encouraging. And each and every one of us need to encourage each other. Just going to finish with a, with a prayer. God, I thank you that you are coming back. Lord, I thank you that you are coming again, Lord, and that one day everything will be made new. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to eagerly await that. You will help us to long for it, to long to be with you and to see you. But God, also, I pray in the meantime that, that the fact knowing you're coming back will cause us to be sober will cause us to pray fervently for the lost and for the broken, cause us to live lives where we live out your truth in word and deed, bringing your hope to the nations, being your witness to the world, proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Amen.